The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day. You're listening to America This Week. I'm Carrie Weber, executive editor for America Magazine. And I'm Ashley McKinless, sitting in for Father Matt Malone. Each week on America This Week, we offer news and analysis at the intersection of the church and the world, gathered by the team at America Magazine. And one of our team is here with us today, Jim Keen, one of our senior editors. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, we should note that Ashley is quite literally sitting in Father Malone's seat. <laughs> yes, uh, my feet do not reach the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there is somewhat thing of a height differential for those who have not met either of them and cannot see us on the radio. Uh, but we're glad to have you here today. Thanks Great so to much, here. Ashley. Uh, Father Malone is traveling. Soon we'll be speaking with John Carr, who is the director of the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown University. He's a former columnist for us and for many years was a director of the Department of Justice, Peace, and Human Development at the USCCB, which is the U- U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. John Carr, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We were really struck by the power of this piece because you are able to come at it from so many different angles. Uh, It was a piece that you first presented at a conference at uh, your institute at a panel discussion at at this initiative on Catholic social thought. Um, And in that, at that time, in that uh, discussion, you chose to talk about this on a personal and professional level, um, and to also reveal that you had been a victim of abuse yourself. I wonder if you could talk to us about the decision to uh, to reveal that information there and at this time. Well, first of all, thanks to America for your uh, sustained and serious attention to clerical sexual abuse now and through the years. I, our initiative doesn't focus on internal church issues. We have been around for five years. We focus on the intersection between faith and public life. But it became clear it's, you can't really focus on that without dealing with uh, the credibility, the broken trust, the anger, and the anguish of people are feeling about not only the sexual abuse crisis, but the lack of accountability. And so we have a session, uh, we actually had two, one for young leaders and one for the rest of us. And in that session, I, it occurred to me as I was preparing for this that this has haunted me for more than 50 years, mm. personally, professionally, institutionally. As you suggest, uh, I experienced some of this as a high school seminarian. I worked in a diocese, two dioceses. I worked at the National Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, and I found myself, as I was talking about this, uh, saying that silence and secrets were a big part of the problem. And then I had to confront the fact that I had my own secrets and I had been maintaining my own silence. I had gone to a high school seminary, and while I did not experience the, uh, the horrors that are in the Pennsylvania grand jury report, I was subject to sexual harassment and abuse by clergy. I had not told my wife. I had not told my parents. I certainly had not told my children. And But I, I found myself saying to others, silence is dangerous. And so I sat down and recalled very quickly who did what, when, where, 
and I shared that with uh, the leadership of the community that ran the seminary. And then I shared it as at the end of a reflection I offered on uh, my experiences on sexual abuse. Uh, and the message there was secrecy, silence is not an option for any of us, no matter whether we are a survivor or simply a member of the church or, frankly, Pope Francis. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. I think it's it's extremely powerful to to hear your story and I hope will be encouraging to other people who have experienced this to be able to come forward. Now you talk about your professional life. You have basically worked directly with virtually every big name that has come out in this uh, crisis over the years in some ways. You've worked with uh, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. You worked with Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. You worked with Cardinal Law. Uh, and you have a lot of lessons to take away from each of those. Uh, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about um, what it's like to kind of speak truth to power, because that's what you are able to do in each of these situations, is is you are able to speak to them uh, with an honesty and a bluntness that I think a lot of other people were not able to do. Well, uh, first of all, I don't hold myself out as an example. None of us did all we could have done to stop this evil in our family of faith. Uh, I, after my experience in high school, I am obviously not a priest, uh, happily married, got four kids, six grandkids under six. Uh, it, uh, the, uh, I, I love my life. I've had a great uh, opportunity to serve the church in a variety of ways, but I have worked with some of the key players here. I began by talking about my first experience in the Archdiocese of Washington, where I was summoned to a meeting where a significant figure, Monsignor in the diocese, had been accused of abusing minors. I was the only layman in the room, and all the clerics were just dumbfounded. They uh, could not believe this happened. They knew the priest, and this was an unfair attack. And Cardinal Hickey asked me what I thought, and I said, I don't know the priest, but I but I am a father, and short of the loss of a child, I can't imagine anything worse than this. It involves Eucharist and priesthood, it involves authority and family, sexuality, and and how you think of yourself. I said he needs to be gone tonight, and Cardinal Hickey removed him. Uh, I was around when Cardinal Hickey was told. Uh, you don't meet with victims. You don't uh, apologize. Uh, that the attorneys would take care of this. There would be secret settlements. And I heard therapists and treatment centers say, we can treat these people. That was terrible advice. And uh, we've all paid a, a horrible price for that terrible advice. And the lesson I drew from my experience with Cardinal Hickey was there are not enough parents in the room when these decisions are made, and that lay people need to be more involved. But lay people have been a part of this problem. The lawyers and a lot of the therapists were lay people, but they were not independent. Um, they focused more on defending the church and the perpetrators than, than uh, children and their families. So those were two of the lessons I learned. Has that changed? Uh, wait. Oh, sorry. 
Go ahead. I was going to ask, you talk about your experience with Cardinal Hickey in the 80s. Has, has there been progress on having more lay people and parents in those in those rooms where the decisions are made since then? Well, it's worth pointing out that a lay board in New York uh, received an allegation against Cardinal McCarrick and uh, decided it was credible and a retired cardinal of great standing uh, was removed uh, as a cardinal and is now living a life of prayer and penance. So things have changed, and they've changed significantly, but not enough. Two of the experiences I had, I, I worked with Cardinal Law for several years, and I was a dutiful, uh, respectful, uh, loyal staff member, but I was also the father of teenage boys, and we had several conversations about this. And at one point he said, no one talks to me the way you do. And I said, Cardinal, that's the problem. And my lesson from that is our bishops are often isolated, surrounded by other clerics, surrounded by people who share their worldview, and that keeps them from uh, appreciating the anguish and the anger and developing the empathy. Uh, Cardinal McCarrick is one of my dearest friends. I admire so much of what he has done. I had heard some of these rumors, and I asked him directly, how could this be? And he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, if any of that were true, I wouldn't be here. Uh, my enemies are trying to destroy me. It's been investigated by the media. If uh, any of that were true, I wouldn't be here. And frankly, I believed him. It was incomprehensible to me that uh, someone who had done those things was Archbishop of Washington and Cardinal. And the lesson I drew from that is we need an independent process that uh, where bishops are held accountable and investigated and uh, rumors are dealt with. And uh, you can't rely on business as usual in these areas. Have there been any, I, I know the bishops will be meeting in November for their annual fall meeting. Are, is that setting up some sort of independent um, investigative body for bishops, something that's on the agenda? Well, I, I hope so. In my presentation, I, I, I'm a great admirer of Pope Francis and his leadership, and particularly his call for a poor church for the poor, of the poor. And I think in so many ways he is the shepherd we need. He has been slow to recognize uh, the evil and the damage of sex abuse. But I give him credit for moving forward. I thought his eventual response in Chile where he met with victims and removed bishops, the, the letter he wrote which identified clericalism as a fundamental part of the problem, and uh, summoning all the bishops' conference from around the world to the Vatican, I desperately hope that survivors will be a part of that meeting because I think survivors have had a real impact on Pope Francis, uh, and they need to have an impact on the whole church. And then over the weekend, uh, the, the announcement there would be a Vatican investigation of what the records show, and finally, uh, a response to the claims of Archbishop Vigano. 
as you suggested, I, I had some modest dealings with Archbishop Viganel when he was nuncio here, and I met with him about the work of our initiative. And because I'm from uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, I said, and I told him this might be inappropriate, I said Archbishop Ninstead uh, had to be removed as Archbishop because of his own, the broken trust that came with accusations about his own conduct and uh, his inability to protect young people. And he said straight out to me, we can't give in to the enemies of the church, the, the lawyers, the, the media. And uh, that was sort of the institutional protection that has done so much damage. So one of the lessons I learned was beware of those who would use the suffering of victims and their families to advance their own ideological or ecclesial agendas especially if their own record on protecting uh, young people is suspect. Uh, so, as you said, I've had uh, the, the opportunity, and at least in this case, the responsibility to work with some of the key leaders who have been involved in this trial. And I've, as I was thinking about what to share, I said, I think I can draw some lessons from my own experience the last one being that uh, silence is not an option. Uh, silence in the face of attack may be good Ignatian spirituality, but it's not good pastoral leadership, and we need leadership from Pope Francis. And silence was not a good place for me to be uh, in dealing with what I experienced in my own uh, high school years. And so I... Uh, took the opportunity to share what I had learned, and America gave me the opportunity to share it with your readers, and you're now giving me an opportunity to share it on this show. I think it's important for you know survivors and members of the church to speak out, but I think there's a real question about who is going to then carry those voices to the, the wider world. Yeah, you know, John, one thing that we were struck by, you mentioned this, that you said to Archbishop Vigano back in 2015, that uh, uh, these issues with bishops being removed, and, and his response was, we cannot give in to the enemies of the church, the media, the attorneys, and others. But I think from our perspective as Catholic journalists, one of the things we see is that it's very difficult, especially on the di level of a diocesan paper or something else, for a Catholic journalist to be independent of his or her own bishop and really to have a free voice. And so in some ways, the media, the secular media is... Um, leads the charge on, on some of these issues, like exposing abuse or taking people, holding people to account in ways that uh, the Catholic journalists haven't always been able or willing to do. And do you think that's uh, um, been the case here in the last six months? Well, uh, two thoughts on that. One is I took the occasion to point out to Archbishop Bigodeau that without the media and without the lawyers, uh, this the dimensions of this evil and its human and moral consequences would not be known to us. Right. Uh, the uh, journalists and lawyers uh, have exposed the evil that was very much a part of our family and faith. Now, not every journalist, not every lawyer, I've already pointed out that some of the lawyers were very much a part of the problem. Uh, 
I actually think there is a tradition of independent reporting. National Catholic Reporter has been covering this a long time. America has had its own voice. But it is hard. And one of the things that is important is the church is not the only institution in crisis. I think journalism is facing its own challenges. Hmm. My brother, David Carr, was the media editor of the New York Times, and we would compare notes on which institution was having more difficulty. So uh, I think uh, the the quantity and quality of uh, religious journalism is crucial. Uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times have invested in new uh, reporters on religion. That's an encouraging sign, but I'm afraid it's an unusual one. The uh, I think it is really important that there be institutions within the community that stand apart from the structure but are committed to the faith that will speak the truth. And I think the challenge right now is to find the way to fashion those and create those so that they can hold people accountable. We need this moment. Uh, One of the things our initiative has always been about is Catholic social thought and lay leadership. And I would suggest that the principles of Catholic social teaching, human life and dignity, especially of those who have been victimized, uh, rights and responsibilities, solidarity and subsidiarity, offer actually a way to think about this and criteria for action. And we have always been about uh, trying to encourage and lift up lay leadership, especially young people. We had two sessions, as I mentioned, for the young leaders under 40 that we gathered in Washington. This was not a situation of PTSD. This was not, my God, I thought we went through this. Mm -hmm. This was new news. And their anger, they were just appalled. And their level of trust uh, is very much at risk. And so seems to me there are two things. We have to have accountability, and that's the only way back to restore price, restore trust. And secondly, we have to restore the credibility of the church so we can return to mission. Right. Who is going to stand up for the poor, for the vulnerable, for immigrants, for peace? And one of those voices has to be the Catholic Church. And if our moral credibility has been sapped by our own behavior Um, among the losers will be the least of these the poor and vulnerable have you seen a way in which this the you talk about the way in which the um this generation is perceiving the 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 crisis and uh, feeling betrayed have you seen a way in which the coverage has changed from 2002 to now is there uh, a change in the tone or the the depth There's no benefit of the doubt. Uh, uh, Cardinal Wuerl is a dear friend and supporter. Uh, By the terms of 2002, Cardinal Wuerl was better than most uh, in his work on this, but it's not good enough. And uh, there were choices he made, like other bishops made, that uh, don't withstand scrutiny. And the task when confronting that is to acknowledge it, apologize it, for it and uh, take the steps to make it better. 
so I think there is uh, there are two things. One, there may be uh, a temptation not to give any credence to the work the church has done. And as somebody who's worked on this in a variety of ways for 50 years, we're a different church after 2002. If you're a priest uh, who abuses uh, minors, uh, you're not going to be a priest anymore. Uh, that day is over. Now the question is, how do we hold leadership accountable and how do we hold the institution accountable? One of my concerns, frankly, is that one solution that's offered is to reopen uh, a window for for victims and survivors. And I think they need to be able to tell their stories. The, the idea of simply giving money to survivors and victims, that was the strategy for decades to, to pay them. And the church has paid a lot. And my worry now is all that's left is the resources that support the basic ministries of education and charity and evangelization. So I don't know that what's needed is more money. I think what's needed is more accountability and more consequences for those who have, in fact, failed to keep us safe and failed to hold uh, the people who enabled us accountable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so in your piece, you, you have lessons for, for the church and what it can do to to do better um, this time around facing the sex abuse scandal. I'm wondering, um, as someone who's a survivor of sexual abuse and someone who has seen up close the way the church has failed um, failed to to really serve those survivors, what, what would you say to Catholics? I, I'm part of that generation who doesn't really remember 2002, and so I've heard from a lot of people who have lost church or trust in the church and feel betrayed and don't know if they can keep keep belonging to this um, faith community what what would you say to those people well your anger is well founded uh, your anguish is real uh, and the trust needs to be rebuilt it shouldn't be given easily but we are more than our worst failures uh, we are the church of Jesus Christ we bring the gospel we have failed in very substantial ways. But if you think about the work of the church tonight, whether it's in New York where you are, Washington where I am, around this country, uh, there are millions of people, clergy and laity, proclaiming the gospel, serving the least of these, uh, defending immigrants. Uh, the, the world, our nation, especially now, needs the principles of Catholic social teaching needs the wisdom of the gospel. And so we need to fix the church so that we can advance the mission, not simply to uh, fix what's wrong. So this, for me, this is my home. This is where I belong, and I'm going to work every day in every way I can to make it more faithful, uh, more effective uh, instrument of the gospel. We have failed as a community in fundamental ways. We now need to deal with that. But the path to renewal and reform and healing is to listen to victims, 
hold people accountable and understand that the mission is what unites us. Well, thank you so much, John. Knowing that people like you are in the church and working for the church helps me uh, want to stay here, too. I want to work alongside you and uh, work on this this mission together. So thank you for all that you do and all that you are and for sharing your story with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. His article is called Eight Lessons to Help Us Move Forward from the Sex Abuse Crisis. It can be found at americamagazine.org, as can all the content that you have heard uh, today on the show. Uh, And thank you guys for sharing uh, both your college uh, stories and your own angst about this. It's not it's not easy to uh, work for the church as an actual ministry here Mm -hmm. at what we do sometimes when you think about the greater challenges that the church faces. But it's good to know that people like you guys are working alongside us, too. Yeah. And I'm glad it's good that you know, in this 24-hour news cycle world that we live in, I think as hard as these conversations are, it is important that we keep having them even when the rest of the media has moved on. So probably won't be the last time. No, I think it's really important. And thank you for, for being there for and being a part of that, you guys. Uh, so you're listening to America This Week. And if you want more about America Magazine, you can go to americamagazine.org. And you can subscribe to our magazine by calling 1-800-627-9533. Thank you very much for being with us today, and good day. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.